This episode is brought to you by Mass Youth Campaign, The Orphan Who Changed the World. Mass Youth has teamed up with Islamic Relief and urges you to help them sponsor 100 orphans during the month of October. Show your love for the Prophet and strive to hashtag be with him by sponsoring an orphan and giving them the gift of hope. Visit irusa.org forward slash mass orphans to learn more. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Remastered Podcast. I'm your host, Munira Madison, and I'm joined by our very special guest today, Sister Nahla Morales. And today we'll be getting a little personal as she shares her journey to faith and discusses the important topics of adoption and caring for our forgotten Muslim youth in foster homes. Thank you for being here today, Sister Nahla. How's your week going, first off? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah. Um, it's going well, and thank you so much for this invitation. It is a personal topic, but it is a very important topic that is oftentimes neglected. And so I am very excited that you invited me for, for this topic. And I hope that the conversation continues even after our discussion, inshallah. Likewise. And for our listeners who may not be familiar with you, uh, Sister Nahla Morales is an immigrant, revert, Mexican-American Muslim, Thaia, humanitarian, award-winning activist, international public speaker, single mother of one, and currently living in Dallas, Texas. Nahla is also the co-founder of Embrace, a project of ICNA, which is an initiative created for reverts by reverts. Their mission for reverts or converts is to be embraced and treated with dignity, equality, and respect and to become leaders within the Muslim community. She also formally served as the National Hispanic Outreach Coordinator for Why Islam, where she led countless Dawa efforts and also served as the Director of Operations for Islam in Spanish, who recently inaugurated the first Spanish-speaking Islamic Center in Houston, Texas. Mashallah, this is an impressive background. I myself actually came across your work when I was a new revert convert looking for convert support. There wasn't a lot out there. What keeps you motivated to do all the amazing things that you do? And you forgot to add that I, I, I just started pursuing my master's in chaplaincy. Uh, so I'm on my first <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Where are you studying? Uh, Bayan. Uh, yes. 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 That's awesome. Alhamdulillah. I'm so glad to hear that. And yeah, like what motivated you to pursue chap, you know, a master's in chaplaincy and to extend the work that you're already doing? Well, I think, um, you know, when you, when you think about your own journey, right, we oftentimes for, for us converts, it takes a long time to get where we are and to find passions within ourselves. And sometimes we neglect that we are born with these passions or the experiences that we go through take us to these different um, pathways, yes. which for me has been Dawa humanitarian work. And it's just everything that perhaps uh, I was a bit neglected as a child. And so I want to help the world because, you know, uh, I feel like the world eventually helped me. And so it's a way, you know, now that I'm Muslim that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always tells us, right, that we need to uh, thank his creation, to treat his creation um, if we want his rahmah, his mercy. And mm -hmm. so to be able to encompass and do all of this work, it's really to gain the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's really what keeps me motivated to, inshallah, you know, um, make it to Jannah for those and perhaps we will all be neighbors, inshallah. 
Inshallah. I mean, yes, you know, um, I myself am a revert as well of five years now, alhamdulillah. And like you said, you know, I found myself really feeling, even before I was Muslim, feeling indebted to people I didn't even know because I myself was adopted by, you know, people who weren't biologically my my parents or my family. And so I think there was a lot of want to help others because I knew my life could have been completely different had somebody not helped me. Uh, how, how has that you know, growing up in foster care yourself, how has that journey impacted where you are today and also like impacted your faith journey? So I came into foster care uh, during my preteen. So I was around 12 and mm-hmm. I grew out of foster care. So I was there practically seven years, more or less. Um, and so it was a very difficult time because you're trying to find your identity. You're going through all of these hormonal changes, whether you're becoming a woman, you're still a girl. And so um, it, it was very difficult um, because then you feel a sense of neglect. You know, your family, I come from a very abusive household and that's why I was removed from my home. Um, not only was it physical, but it was mental and verbal. And, um, you know, in my very young age, I was even sexually abused. So, um, all of that encompass, you know, the need of helping others, um, because literally foster care saved me. Right. So, uh, being taken care of, uh, by a German old lady, and we used to call her grandma, uh, was really a blessing in disguise, even though, you know, the loneliness happens because, you know, that's not your blood related family. But at the end of the day, I mean, you learn to adapt and you learn to, um, to get comfortable, you know, under your own skin. And for a long time, I questioned myself whether my life would have been different if I didn't if I wasn't put in a foster home and perhaps it would have, um, I was raised in California. And so, um, even though I was never introduced to gangs or drugs, but when I went initially into uh, the system, you are put in a waiting place called uh, McLaren hall, which they Mm -hmm. have kids from one day old to 17. And so you saw everything and anything I had never seen in my life from gangs and drugs and tattoos and things Mm -hmm. of that nature. So I could have gone left, but Alhamdulillah, Allah guided me. And so I was put in a very nice group home and then eventually put in the foster home I grew out of. How did all of that change? Well, being able to have some stability. I think it's so important for children to have stability. And I think the foster care system provided that for me in the long run. Um, and not being moved from home to home, which happens a lot if um, if you don't find a suitable home for the child, even within foster care. So, you know, you go to court every six months and that's traumatic as, as it is, right? To go to court every six months and just to see if there's going to be reconciliation, if, you know, your parents are, in this case, my mother was going to therapy, if that was going to work out, Um But um, being shifted from one place to another, it's also very dangerous. So I was very blessed. I was very, very blessed to uh, be with Grandma Ali for as long as I was. 
Um, and so how did that shift my, my spirituality? I think we didn't have any type of religion um, mm -hmm. growing up with her. Um, she was German, very firm. Um, it was more culturally like American culture kind of, right. but it wasn't really celebrated per se, you know, um, Interesting. so it was good, it, you know, shifting to Islam. I didn't miss anything. <laughs> right. But also, you know, you've mentioned many times that she, she was German. You came from a Mexican American, uh, background. Uh, so was, was there a disconnect, uh, culturally, so socially at all? you know, being raised by someone who didn't connect with your cultural heritage? Well, when you're looking for safety, you adapt really quick. Right? Exactly. You learn to eat uh, potato pancakes with uh, applesauce. Never yeah. in my Mexican life did I ever eat that until I was in her home and, you know, the meatloaf and just the food was very different. But again, when you are looking at safety, you you adapt pretty easy. Um, she was very easygoing, very firm. Um, as long as you didn't ditch school, did well in school, um, it was pretty. It, it was pretty peaceful, and that's really what I was looking for. Like right, peace. I didn't have that at home. She kept you on that straight path before you found the straight path, right? <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Yes. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Yeah. I asked this because, you know, I myself, I'm, I'm mixed. I actually found out a few years ago that I'm half Japanese, but all growing up, I had no clue what I was. And, um, you know, I've found that there are instances where I look back and say, oh, that was a very different interaction than had I been with possibly my biological family. But I'm mentioning this in terms of our Muslim children in foster and adoption, in foster care and adoption care, uh, seeking adoption right now. Because unfortunately, while children are held with such high regard in our deen, you know, we, we notice there's a lack of Muslim foster care statistics. There's a stigmatization in our Muslim American community about fostering, about what that means for your biological children, about yeah, uh, adoption even. And so many times, a lot of our Muslim children who are in the foster care system end up with non-Muslim families. What impact, I mean, you yourself are raising a, a son? Yes. Correct. Yes. And how old is he right now? He's 16. He's a junior <laughs> in high school. Masha'Allah, masha'Allah. And you know the importance of, you know, how you raised him with that structure, with that faith, you rooted in faith and a very strong faith identity. So what would you say to those out there who maybe have room in their, in their family for a child, to welcome a child in who may be Muslim, but they have these concerns that are in our community? Right. So according to the Muslim Foster Care Association, there's approximately 400,000 kids in foster care. Okay. Mm. Out of those 400,000, 100,000 are up for adoption. And so when we, when we think about these enormous numbers, just to kind of get a perspective, you know, our Muslim children get shuffled in that big number. It's like a big soup, right? So right. religion is not important. It's more of just kind of placing them. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's crucial for us as a community to actually step in uh, into, uh, 
you know, taking this responsibility, which is upon us, as a matter of fact, because we have it in the Sira of the Prophet Sallallahu where he himself fostered uh, Zaid, right? And so mm -hmm. uh, he eventually called him son, and he was known as Zaid bint Muhammad. And so, subhanAllah, when we talk about fostering, it's within our religion. And why is it so important? Because as it is, they're going through trauma, and obviously, like myself, if my foster mother would have been Buddhist, perhaps I would have, you know, held on to that because mm -hmm. I wanted to be safe and fit in. Similarly, similarly, um, subhanAllah, it, it's like, you know, children are being placed in Christian homes, children are being placed, which is Alhamdulillah, a blessing because a lot of these children are being taken away, not because they're living a prosperous life, as we all know, but it is dangerous because their identity gets stripped away almost immediately, right? They will right. not hear the Adan. They will not know if they're little. They will not know when Ramadan is or when Eid is or the prayer or what have you. So slowly but surely it gets washed away. And so that is very sad because we have so many uh, individuals within our community, subhanAllah, that are, mashallah, have the resources uh, to take on this. I call it a blessing. You know, this can be your ticket to Jannah, like yeah. literally. This can be your ticket to Jannah, subhanAllah, if anything else, because our, our deen stresses so much of not only taking care of the orphans, but fostering those that are vulnerable and in need. And this is where foster uh, care falls in, right? And so um, I have to bring him up because I, he really, you know, the day where I found out that they went as far as Morocco to adopt, um, I was very happy. Um, so Fahed Taslim, which is Sheikh Saad Taslim's brother, he adopted a little girl from Morocco, mashallah, uh, baby Noor. Uh, now she's almost four or five, but they basically adopted her as a baby. And at first, I think they were a bit afraid of, like you said, it's not really spoken about, it's wrong. And so, but the community, I was living in Houston at the time, everybody really welcomed this act of kindness, of generosity, of love. And so Baby Noor was, anytime there was a convention, you know, all eyes were on Baby Noor. Really, <laughs> her name just kind of went hand in hand with her personality and just the way she like lit up a room. And not that they didn't have any children, they had four children of their own. They have four children of their own. And the reason why I know all of this is because his oldest son is friends with my son. So um, he told my son, oh, guess what? They have a new baby, <laughs> but it's adopted. Right. But it's baby. And, and <laughs> they were much younger. They were maybe 10. So, oh, maybe longer. Yeah, maybe uh, six years ago, somewhere around there. Subhanallah. So, subhanAllah, we are seeing a slight shift, but not fast enough and not broad enough. So exactly. we really need to get... Uh, ourselves together and inshallah um, encourage one another especially if you have the resources and the means because mm -hmm. you will be questioned uh, about this on the day of judgment uh, you know one of our biggest tests is our resources is our wealth right. and so if we're not utilizing it correctly we will be held accountable for that and this is something that we should we, we should really look into our hearts and open open the door of our homes and our heart to these children that need us.
Yes, indeed. And I love that you came with like a real life example of somebody that, you know, many people do know uh, the family, at least, alhamdulillah. And the fact that you you spoke about them having other children. So at first I was just hearing about baby Noor and then you're like, they already had four children. And oftentimes what I find in our community, specifically in the Muslim American community, is this this fear of adopting or fostering due to not being a a milk brother or milk sister, or, you know, like if we, if we have a female in the house and we bring in a male child, what will that mean in the future and vice versa? So have you dealt with that in, in your community work at all? So no, they actually, baby Noor was um, small enough and they exactly. did, you know, they did all of what they had to do in order to milk the baby to, to, to provide that. So um, that is one case that obviously when, when we are looking at our children here in the U.S., because you don't have to go out of the U.S., even though I have to say it's a bit more difficult here, mm-hmm. um, and they put a lot of hoops, but that should um, that should motivate us, right? Because when things are difficult, the reward is larger. And so when we strive, you know, Allah takes all of that into consideration. And so if we put all of our resources or our resources and our efforts to it, uh, again, the reward is greater. But no, I don't know of any cases. I do know of people that foster care. And obviously, they have to go through the norms of, Mm -hmm. you know, once they hit puberty, they have to wear the hijab and so on and so forth. But again, there's ajr in it, right? There's blessing, there's barakah in it. So when you do things for the sake of Allah, nothing becomes hard. It becomes easy because you know that you are gaining the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So um, that shouldn't be something that discourages us, right? Exactly. Uh, I personally think it shouldn't. If I had the time, um, I would love to be a foster mom just to give back. Unfortunately, my life, I mean, I'm a single mom as it is. And you know, just it's all over the place. But that's something that I would consider perhaps, you know, later. Likewise, likewise, I, I'm always thinking, will I ever be in the place in my life to be able to do that for someone, inshallah, but at least, you know, you're raising awareness about it, you're doing so much more community work, and you're already raising your son, mashallah, I would actually love to circle back a little bit to your faith story. Um, you know, I think, you mentioned in the beginning when you were talking about growing up in foster care, how you had to kind of really be firm with your identity and kind of really understand who you were um, because you had so many different influences around you. Did that help you when you converted or when you reverted? Did that help you? Because you were like, I already, I've already been through worse with people not really understanding me. So if they don't understand this decision I'm making for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's okay. For me, (laughs) that, you know, that kind of happened. So I was wondering about yourself. Actually, as I hear you talking, I never thought about it that way. But (laughs) actually, yes, now that I think about it, you know, um, my conversion happened much later. And it happened with me moving from California to New York, uh, three months prior to 9-11. And so my introduction to Islam was 9-11. That's the first time I heard Allah Akbar and it like sparked this curiosity and, um, you know, the Muslims and Islam and subhanAllah, here we are 20 years later, I'm a Muslim and I wanted them to go back to where they came from. Um, But um, yes, I think it had a lot to do with it because when I converted, short after I converted, I started um, 
I wanted to implement the hijab. And at the time I was working um, as a phlebotomist in a clinic for a Jewish doctor. And um, I actually went to HR, human resources, and I asked for a meeting. And I said, you know, I'm going to start wearing a headscarf. And I just want to make sure that the whole staff understands that I have converted to this new faith. Um, and everybody was said, yeah, you know, everybody told me, yes, 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 wonderful. Three days later, I was fired. No, no questions, no answers, no, nothing. The only thing that was told to me was you can go get unemployment and we'll sign the paper, but Aww. that will not fit here. Um, I was still on cloud nine, so it didn't really affect my man. Right. right. You had that spiritual high going on, right? Yeah. It, so yeah. Like, Where oh, it's just like everything. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Allah will take care of them. It's okay. No problem. But what I did do is exactly what you said. I, I was so rooted within myself and I understood that for the that the last two years that I studied Islam was enough for me to know my new identity as a Muslim woman. So what I did instead of going and just, you know, doubting, should I wear it? Should I not wear it? I actually, I'm human. So I went home, I cried. My son was very small at the time. So I was like, what am I going to do? Yeah, Allah, I know I made the best decision of my life. Now help me. And sure enough, he did. Um, what I did do to empower myself was I went to get my driver's license, my passport, everything with hijab. You know, I was like, this is not oh. going to happen to me again because I'm Muslim and this is it. This is my new identity. And so I think that's the difference between, you know, what you just mentioned when mm -hmm. somebody's kind of like already aligned towards, mm -hmm. that, you know, what else can go wrong, right? And exactly. it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. I couldn't find a job for about two years. But subhanAllah, the community took care of us. And so I think that um, woke up this uh, passion of, of giving back and helping. And I immediately rolled up my sleeves and, you know, got involved with the Dawah committee and my masjid and anything to do with, you know, helping um, feeding the homeless, whatever it took, because I was taken care of. And so it was my way of giving back. And I had the opportunity to study Islam and, you know, be able to attend all the halakas. And so it was, it was really, at the time, it didn't seem like a good time. But right. now that I back it was one of the best times <laughs> subhanallah how that happens i i look back to a period of unemployment i had i had just you know resigned from a position where i was doing well but it was a more secular position and i was like okay i'm going to this faith i'm going to faith based work and after just 6 months they asked me to leave due to you know some politics i think and so i was like subhanallah I gave up my work to work for the sake of Allah. And then this happens. And now I'm like better. I'm worse off than I was before. But Alhamdulillah, I look back at that time. And that was the time period I did the most taskia and tarbiya work. And I look back at that now and say, oh, I wish I had that time to just be present with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, now I'm busy all the time and have to make that time. So alhamdulillah, it's such a beautiful perspective. And I think, you know, you work a lot with reverts and converts uh, through Embrace. I love that initiative, by the way. Um, there, there weren't that a lot of support groups for converts and reverts. And in many ways, it can feel very isolating, very lonely. You're, you're questioning your identity just as if you're back in foster care or you're back up for adoption. You know, so I think 
subhanAllah, like you've been positioned in a way to really understand what people are going through, regardless of what they're going through and to be able to help them. Yeah. SubhanAllah. <laughs> no, Alhamdulillah. <laughs> I mean, you put it so beautifully that you make me like, just think SubhanAllah, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really takes care of us from the minute that we are born. Um, and we have to go through some experiences mm -hmm. to make us or to get us to wherever we're supposed to be at. And so if people tell me, or I've been asked before, if there was one thing you would change about your life, what would that be? And I wouldn't change anything because I wouldn't be the person that I am today. Exactly. Go through everything that I did go through, right? Alhamdulillah. I don't know if you had this too, but like once I converted, I felt like it, it just hit me. Clarity just hit me when it came to like my whole life trajectory from babyhood up until this point. And I was like, subhanAllah, I get it. I get what you were doing. Did that happen with you as well? And did it help you work through some of the trauma and heal? Actually, it keeps happening every day, you know, with, uh, with everything, with every experience. I was, you know, today I was, I was contemplating, I was reflecting after praying Dohar. And I have a little Kaaba on the top and I looked at it and I said, if you invited me 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to handle what I did handle when I went. Yeah. And, you know, just just every experience, how things have happened, the way they have happened. It's like he is the best of planners. So when he, yeah. we may plan, but at the end of the day he will actually make it happen when it's best for us. And so I think that's where the vocal comes in. Oftentimes mm -hmm. we talk about, I trust Allah, but we trust Allah with our tongue versus with our hearts, right? We, we, we're still kind of like, oh, but what if it doesn't happen? Or what if, and there shouldn't be no what ifs because our, our Rabb, our Lord is the type of Lord that you see him to be. So Mm -hmm. um, it's so important for us to make sure that when we are asking, we ask with our full self without doubt. Doubt comes from shaitan and Allah can make anything happen, right? So it, it does, it does bring into perspective everything. Just um, when I think about my life and as I'm writing my biography, um, which I don't know how long it's going to take, but it just, <laughs> keep, I keep adding and I keep changing. It's like... Um, SubhanAllah, you know, we went to Umrah right before the pandemic. So we came back on the last flight uh, in February and Inshallah. then shut down like by March and April. And so SubhanAllah, even that trip, you know, I was like, it was planned perfectly. Had we gone spring break, like many people, you know, uh, we wouldn't have made it. And we saw so many trips being canceled. So Again, that full trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should come from really from our heart, our mind. And then when we verbalize it, really believe it. Indeed. And I, I find that like it's really been in the depths of despair after I realized I was Muslim, where that tawakal, I could I, I could feel it, you know, like and I could identify with it and internalize it. So. I, I do have a question here for you. It was before you were Muslim, but speaking of like the depths of despair and I too myself have been there. Um, when you were 12 years old, you attempted suicide. And in your article on your blog, you mentioned this is suicide the only way out. You mentioned suicide ideation roaming in the back of your head until you became Muslim. 
And I too, you know, went, went through that even after I became Muslim. So I, if you're comfortable sharing, I would love to, to hear more about that journey for you. Yeah, I think, you know, subhanAllah, uh, I wrote that article several years ago, but yeah, you know, we, we don't talk about foster care, about adoption, about mental health very often until some tragedy happens within our community and then everybody's talking about it and then it goes to sleep, right? So we need to get into the habit of speaking about these, these real issues. They're happening within our communities and oftentimes we think, no, not us. No, it cannot happen, but it happens to the best of us. And so, yes, of course, I felt unloved, unwanted. And so when, when that suicide thought came in at that young age, when I was taken away to a faraway place mm-hmm. and I didn't know anyone, I didn't want to live. It it was hard to fathom that my mother, the woman that gave birth to me, would hurt me so much. And so um, I felt, and and then my grandmother raised me um, till about four until I came to this country and she was far and I couldn't go to her. So I felt that there was really no way out, subhanAllah. And um, her her death anniversary is coming up. And even that, her death anniversary, her, her dying, even prepare, Islam prepared me for her death. Cause I remember when I, when I tried to commit suicide, I wrote her a letter and I said, if you ever die before me, I would kill myself. I can't live without you, even if we're far away. And so subhanAllah, I came back from Hajj. It's like Allah gives us and then Allah takes, right? To see where our, our faith is, how strong is it? And so I went to Hajj and literally less than a month later, I had to fly to Mexico because she was she was literally uh, on her deathbed. And sure enough, she died four days after I left her bedside. But it, it was completely different because I knew she was no longer in agony. And I knew she was, you know, uh, we got to spend some time with her. My son recited Quran to her. And so it was a peaceful uh, exit per se. Mm. Um, I haven't been back home because of the pandemic and prior Mm -hmm. because I wasn't ready to face the fact that she's no longer there. She was the glue to our family. Uh, And so- The matriarch. Yeah, she would bring us together, right? So now that she's no longer there, everybody's kind of doing their own thing. And so it's very different. It's a very different, but um, yeah, going back to your question, it's, it was a time of desperation. It was a time of loneliness. It was a time of mm-hmm. not understanding um, many things that were ha- were happening to me at the time. And I think mentally, I wasn't able to handle it either. It, it's almost like your mm-hmm. mind just crashes, right? And so when you don't have the right tools or the right support, and this is why we see so much suicide, it, with even within our communities, it has been happening here. Um, yeah. If it was this year or last year, I'm kind of lost in time, but mm-hmm. I went to Janaza of four, four or six family members, you know. SubhanAllah. And- yeah, a re- NPR or no, ISPU just released a study uh, yeah. saying that Muslim suicide is up right. yeah, in America. Absolutely. Um, which I'm a board member there. Oh. <laughs> and so well, I'm glad you mentioned them. Yes, they do make <laughs> work. Um, so yes, it, it's something that we need to um, normalize in in, mm-hmm. in our communities. And what I mean by that is that we shouldn't 
Um, I see a lot of uh, cultural baggage and a lot of cultural yeah. uh, taboo, you know, like even period, you can't say that someone's on their period, but okay, right. this and this is given by Allah. And what is wrong with this? You know, okay. uh, I normally do a pad drive for my birthday, specifically <laughs> for two um, local women shelter and homeless women. Yes. And Subhanallah, last year I had brothers and sisters donate and it was wonderful that, you know, you are going to be a father one day or you have a mother and a sister and an aunt and we need to stop with this um, tabooing things. Agreed. Agreed. We're making something haram that wasn't dictated as haram. Like we're saying, oh, that topic, we can't talk about that or raise awareness or educate, but that's Mm -hmm. not our right to say that. Right. Yeah. Subhanallah. Right. So we need to talk more about these issues that are happening. They are happening um, and they're not going away and they're not going away because we're so busy in our own lives. You know, I see um, my my son, some of my son's friends, you know, they confide in him and then he'll come and ask for advice. And, you know, there's also a disconnect when it comes to love. What is love? You know, sometimes culturally, it's not um, it's not given uh, physical physical love like a hug and an right. embrace and a kiss. And so, the children need this, but culturally, you're somewhere else. And so that also uh, kind of drives our children to go elsewhere to look for that love and that attention. Um, and that comfort that they should be feeling within the home. And when I think about that, I think of our beloved Prophet Sallallahu when he was the most compassionate, the most loving individual, he would, you know, when Fatima would walk in, he would stand up and, and give her, give, give her his seat, you know, that, that mm-hmm. compassion and that love. And so we don't see that within our community. Oftentimes, you know, we're still like, all over the place, but not nowhere near where we should be. Yeah, a lot of it is societal. I think, you know, we live in a society that's really pushing the rat race agenda and productivity is your worth and your value is your productivity. And so I I feel because had I not, I actually lived in Jordan for six and a half years before I became Muslim. And so I was non-Muslim there, but living there helped me so much to get out of that mentality, just because I was in a different society that prioritized time with people like quality time, as opposed to productivity. So that helps shift my mindset. And then once I converted, of course, like it just brings everything home, right? You realize, okay, this is why that feels more natural to me because we are living such an unnatural state of life. Right. And unfortunately, yeah, our children are, are exposed to that. Something that struck me when you were telling me about your dear grandmother and Allah Yarhamha, um, you told me that your son was reciting Quran to her when yeah. she was on her, her deathbed. Now, was your biological family ever Muslim? So here's, um, here's something very ironic. Okay. Um, <laughs> out of all people in my family, my mother actually embraced Islam. Subhanallah. Um, yeah, Subhanallah. It's 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 crazy how things shift, right? And um, yeah. Okay, hold on. So <clears throat> take your time. It's okay. We're getting deep and personal here. Yeah, Subhanallah. So she um. 
I was doing an interview for a Spanish channel and, um, and obviously I was with the hijab and because we had been estranged and we really don't communicate, um, she asked, I have a half sister. She asked my sister for my number and she called me and she said, you know, why are you wearing that thing on your head? And, you know, are you Muslim? And I said, yes, I'm Muslim. And um, she said, well, can you send me information? And at the time I was, I was working on the project of why Islam Dawah exclusively. And so I got a package together and I went to buy some goodies and stuff and I send it to her. Um, but I sent it with the intention of just educating, not necessarily no conversion. I had, I, I didn't right. want to play no part in it. Honestly, I was like, right. I don't want it was to come back and tell me, are you going to convert us all or what have you? And because I hadn't spoken to her in so many years, really it was the last person i i would have thought and um i guess she has been a reader she's always been a reader um and she she read all the material she eventually called the hotline and that's where she ended up taking her shahada um fast forward we're still estranged we try to mend things we try to work on things but we're not there yet um i did connect her with a few sisters in california and so you know, she does go to the mosque and she does go take Spanish classes and what have you. How far is she in her Islam? How, you know, I try for my son to have at least a relationship with her because my problems mm -hmm. with her have nothing to do with him. And we try right. to create things. So um, she's obviously very different to him. And um, whether it's happy Ramadan or, you know, happy Eid, but it's very, very minimum. And so... Mm -hmm. During one of my trips, um, my grandmother, um, you know, kind of took the first part of the Shahada, but she said, who is Muhammad? You know, like, who is that? Okay. And okay. so I, I went back to, to, to my teacher back in Jersey. He's like, listen, she's really old and just keep making dua for her. And only Allah knows yeah. if he will accept her Shahada or not. So that's where we yeah. left it off. Um, she was over a hundred years old, so obviously her oh, um, by the time uh, that she passed away, she didn't recognize any of us. So she had a short time of dementia. Um, but um, but yeah, that's really that's very ironic of my story. That was yeah, that was a plot twist I was not expecting actually <laughs> at all. You right. know, sub <laughs> Subhanallah, uh, it wasn't until. Two years ago, I guess I was like 32 uh, when I first contacted my biological mother and she's actually it's an in-family adoption. And so I had found a picture of her on Mother's Day when I switched it over, flipped it over. It said Mother's Day. And it was like this sign like Allah was like telling me you're ready. You have her number. Call her. It's Mother's Day. You found this picture for a reason. And so Alhamdulillah, I felt ready and I called her. And one of the first things she asked me was like, well, I saw on Facebook through somebody that you're Muslim now. So I'm not sure. Like, I'm really not sure about that. And subhanAllah, that really shocked me that that was like one of the first things that right. stood out to her. You know, like we haven't talked in 30 something years. Right. You know, but alhamdulillah, like she accepted it. I don't have an you know, a real relationship with her, but I also, we're not estranged, you know, alhamdulillah, but I was also adopted when I was like 16 months old. So it's a bit of a different story, 
But when it came to my family who raised me because they adopted me and loved me so well and raised me with such a loving, you know, family home for the majority of my childhood, um, I felt guilty. I felt guilty, like rejecting quote air quotes here for those who are listening, rejecting what they taught me um, or what they instilled in me because it felt like a slap in their face. Like we did all this for you. We raised you. We gave you this identity and now you're doing this. Wait, what? And subhanAllah, over the past few years, my mother who raised me has been going through a lot of health issues and I've been spending more and more time with her. And she's realized like out of all her children, I'm the one who's close, the most closest aligned to her work in faith-based work. She's works in a church and she realized like everything I learned from her is what I'm applying now today. It just happens to be as a Muslim. So subhanAllah, I was, I did not expect that plot twist in your story, but I wanted to share some of mine for you because you've been so generous with your time, with your insight and with your, your personal stories. No, no, it's, I I just hope it inspires people. It really kind of, you know, allows people to, to look deep down inside and we all have a story and we shouldn't be ashamed of our story. You know, it will inspire someone uh, one day. And I think that's very important for us to not go under this rock and think that this only happened to me. Um, Allah gives us the different experiences throughout our life. And we should, I see any trial or turbulence as a lesson. And I'm like, okay, when I'm going through something, I'm like, what am I supposed to learn out of this? Instead of just crying myself to sleep, I'm like, okay, I will get it. It's almost like a puzzle. We're putting a puzzle together. And so I think when you asked me initially, what keeps me going, it's my faith. It really is my faith. You know, if I sat here and told you everything I've been through, even after converting, you would be like, how are you standing on your two feet? It's, it's my faith. It's the fact that I know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of me regardless of what happens. And if it's happening, it's because he decreed it and I just have to come out stronger. And I think that should be what, if anybody takes home anything from this podcast, it's that, that we should always come out stronger and ready to help the other because somebody out there is going through the same thing that you're going through, whatever that is, right? Uh, So we are all servants and slaves of Allah, and we should make sure that we're helping one another and not hurting one another. Um, I have a question for you. So when did you find out that you were adopted? So I actually, I was raised knowing I was adopted. I just thought they kept saying I was so expensive because the lawyer fees, I guess. So I thought they literally just went to a store and bought me. Uh, It actually made me feel special. Like they chose me. So Alhamdulillah, I was raised that way. But my biological half brother, he was actually raised not knowing he was adopted and not knowing who he grew up with was his mother. Oh, yeah. So I look at that and I'm like, Alhamdulillah, I love that. Alhamdulillah, my family did this. But, you know, my mother and father who raised me, they were in their mid 40s. So for those of you who are listening and think, okay, we're too old to foster or adopt. (laughs) They were in their mid 40s, already had three children. We're not planning on any more. My father, you know, did his own business, soil science. And my mother was working in the church. So not a very wealthy family either, but she got a call from her sister saying, 
my daughter has a baby and we need help. She was a prostitute and drug addict. And for the longest time after I converted, I wouldn't tell people that because there was a lot of stigma. Like people were telling me like, you're an orphan. You don't know who your father is. You don't know, like you don't have a bloodline. And it made me feel really bad. <laughs> so I wouldn't tell people that. And it wasn't until I went on a seer retreat in New Mexico with Hajj um, Hisham Mahmoud that I opened up about it. And um, Auntie Shahina was her name. She told me she's still your mother. And, you know, we wouldn't judge you for who your mother is and for like, look, subhanAllah. So Alhamdulillah, it took that example in the community from somebody I really respected and I knew who really loved me to start being more open about those things, even though I'm very much an open book about most things, but that was highly stigmatized. So she got a call from, yeah, from her sister saying, we have this baby and we need you to take her for just a little bit while her mom's in jail or something like that. And she goes, you know, if we take this baby, we're not going to return the baby back to a bad situation. She's already been in foster care before she was 16 months old. She's already been in hospital. She's already been left in drawers. You know, all of this abuse that happened even before I was one years old. And she went to my dad and was like, hey, so I know we already have three kids. We're in our mid forties and we weren't planning for this, but can we take this baby in? And he just looked at her and said, she's family, isn't she? And that was that. So alhamdulillah, I, I look back at that and I'm, I'm so grateful, but it definitely, like you said, it definitely comes with its own challenges, you know, like regardless of how long you've been in the foster care system, how long it's been since you were adopted or anything like that, there are definitely things to overcome. And for me, um, when I was a child, I was suffering from a lot of trauma that my family did not understand. I quit the swim team because the coach changed from a woman to a male and he was showing me how to dive. He didn't do anything inappropriate and I lost it in the pool and quit. And so there were a lot of things. I didn't want to stay at home with my dad when I was first adopted. I just would scream. I wouldn't talk for a long time. I was behind developmentally, you know, talking wise. So there was a lot of trauma that happened as a baby that I couldn't express to them. And they had no idea how to actually deal with that. So that's also something, you know, I think that we need to talk a lot more about because children don't necessarily know how to express that, but we have to look at the signs and we have to know the, the support that we can get as a family to help them. So. Absolutely. SubhanAllah. You know, I think it's important for people to also, when you do adopt, you know, like yourself to be told, I have friends who have been adopted and didn't find out until much later. Oh, or still, I have one friend who her sister still doesn't know that she was adopted. Mm -hmm. um, and she considers her a cousin, but they're really biological sisters. And she doesn't have the heart to, to say that's mm -hmm. your sister. Um, and my mom is your mom, but instead, right. you know, uh, so I can't imagine what that trauma would be like. And like you for a long time, I was ashamed of my story because, you know, yeah. sexually abused and that stigmatized, even in our community, mm -hmm. you're dirty. It's not good. Who's going to marry you? Um, things like that, you know, um, being a single mom, that's also a topic that's mm -hmm. oftentimes, uh, stigmatized or we're seen as less, uh, less of, or less, then, um, and I see that even within our community, our revert community, you know, when I get a call from an auntie and do you have a revert? My first question is like, why do you want a revert? Because right. 
the moped is going to be cheaper or because you don't have to throw a $50,000 party or why do you want a reverb? We have so many podcast episodes right here. I'm just telling you, like, we have to have you back on because these, these topics are so important. Yes. And so I personally look out for both brothers and sisters, you know, reverb brothers and sisters. We had a brother recently that unfortunately was going to be used for a green card. And so we told them, you know, you go into it, don't come out crying because we see all the red flags, right? And so it's important for us to talk about it, but it's also important for us to change. And whatever is that has you thinking a certain way, it might be your own trauma. And so you need to go get help. And that's essentially where the mind shifts, right? When we actually work through our own pain, until we start working through our own pain, there cannot be any change and you're going to be looking at things that are hurting inside and pinpointing outside and hurting the other and the community. Does that make sense? Yep, exactly. You'll start projecting and you start reacting to those projections instead of the reality. Yeah. I, right. I got you. <laughs> yeah, I know that. So me, I, I'm a single mom, right? And I'm a single mom. And unfortunately, I was lied uh, to. And so my son, Alhamdulillah, he has a relationship with his non-Muslim father, who he gives Dawa to, right? So I don't have to worry. The foundation is very strong in his Islam, and I'm very proud of him, um, mashallah. And he's been very firm. He just went to visit him this summer. And the condition was, I got to go to Juma on Friday. And I got to make sure that I do A, B, and C. And he greets them, salam alaikum and walaikum salam. And so you have to make sure that the foundation is firm. And the way to do that is to make sure that you're practicing what you're preaching. And I hear this a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. Well, my child's not praying. Well, are you praying? <laughs> and um, it really comes to that. Uh, uh, you know, it's. It, I'm laughing about it, but it's a serious matter. It, it really is. We oftentimes want our children to be these perfect little angels, but yet we're not implementing what we're supposed to be doing uh, that is required according to our Islam, right? Uh, we try to water down things. And then when our children are doing it, it's like, you need to look inwards first because children are very smart. And like you said, you know, children feel from a very young age. Um, the other thing I would say, very important, you need to learn to apologize, which we don't get that a lot in the Muslim community. And I hear this from my son, you know, like his mother would never apologize to him because he's she's the parent. I'm always apologizing. I always tell my son, you didn't come with the manual under your arm. So guess what? I'm learning this the same way that you're learning to be a son. I'm learning to be a mom. So it's very important for us to really um, be real with one another, you know, be real, be real and stop putting these uh, perfect family Instagram photos and then pretend right. that that's your life, but it's not, you know, it's just the right. And the child is hurting or the, the, the home is falling apart. And it's not until everything blows up, then we ask for help. We should be preventive. Okay. Uh, oftentimes we are reactive. We should prevent things before they get out of hand. That's just my exactly. Two That's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. I think we have a wonderful parenting like episode coming up with you <laughs> because I love what you're talking about. It's really gotten more attention in the recent years, but being, you know, a very present 
an adult like parent, like not being like, okay, I'm an authority figure and you have to do what I say just because I say it. Okay. If we approach prayer in the same way we're approaching parenting, no wonder our kids don't want to pray. A lot of our children, they just want to understand why, and we don't give them enough presence or time to explain the why. You know, and so you're explaining a very nice parenting style. I'm forgetting the name of it right now um, (laughs) off the top of my head, but where you're actually explaining, okay, what's wrong? Why are you having a tantrum? These are the, these are the ways we can react, you know, instead of just saying, stop crying, you know, you're messing up my day. (laughs) (laughs) But oftentimes that is, is uh, learn behavior from mm -hmm. your own parents or from back home. If you're an immigrant, right. And so you have to yeah. unlearn all this. We're living in a so different much. era, different, um, you know, year, different everything. You're you're here now. You're in America, and things are done different than back home. You know, even even across the border, which Mexico is right there. I'm not talking about like you know our, right. our um, brothers and sisters. There's a lot of difference. You know, there's there's a lot of difference when it comes to parenting. Oftentimes. Um, you know, physical is not abuse, but here mm-hmm. it's abuse. And so it gets out of right. hand. And so to unlearn that, and I had to go through therapy and, you know, and understand that that's not okay. And well, sometimes, you know, the best in the best parents can go through different uh, moments, you have to take it back and, and, and make sure that you're taking care of your own healing to make sure that you don't commit the same exactly and and break these cycles right so at the end of the day we want to break all of these unhealthy cycles yes you don't want to make it into generational exactly and you see like how do we learn language we learn it by being immersed in it by hearing other people by learning oh that's what you say in response to this it's the same with behavior it's the same with habits and you'll see it if you watch the children in your life you'll see them mimicking the behavior of the adults they're most around yeah Yeah. subhanallah and that's why it's important like you said circling back to you know foster care and adoption that's why it's so important what really struck me at the beginning is you were saying you know first and foremost we were looking for stability and safety We didn't care about anything else, like stability and safety. And so like, alhamdulillah, you were afforded that. But, you know, think of so many other, like what you said, 450,000 children in the U.S. who are in foster care, you know, who, who don't have that and who are seeking that, but they're also seeking more than that. Like, we shouldn't be happy with the bare minimum. Oh, they're safe. They have a roof over their house. They have some food. They have some clothes. That's not what we are called to do. We are called to do something with Ihsan and to really take care of the people, really take care of our orphans. And that means taking care of their emotional needs as well and their mental health needs. And if we're abandoning that as a community, I'm, you know, subhanAllah, like I I hope inshallah, you know, more and more of us will become uh, involved and there's not that many avenues. I think, I think it's very confusing for people. Like, where do they start? Do they look into foster care in America? Like you said, it's easier abroad. Do they look at it here? How would somebody get their foot in the door just to start learning about this? So I jotted down two important organizations. One is Muslim and one is non-Muslim, right? And both okay. in hand, alhamdulillah. And I actually did the, because I thought about foster care, um, 
when I just moved to Dallas about four years. So I did a very brief training of the introduction of fostering through Jonathan's place. Um, alhamdulillah, they, they take you through everything from A to Z. And this is an agency where they will hold your hand until if adoption is what you want, then they will hold your hand all the way until then. Or if fostering is what you want, then they will help hold your hand till then. Um, so Foster's Place is a really good one. There's been a couple uh, Muslim families, alhamdulillah, if you go on their Facebook, uh, I think her name is Sister Amira. She's been fostering um, children. She has children of her own as well, mashallah. Um, and the other one is FATE, which is a foster agency training and education. And they're under ICNA relief, mashallah. So they've also, um, they're local. So we have ICNA uh, relief almost all over the country. Um, this specific uh, project started here in Dallas. And I forgot the number of adoptions, but they are working through adoptions. As a matter of fact, uh, last, last, year, I believe, towards the end of the year, there was one baby, I think his name was baby Amir or Amin, I forgot. But we basically did a drive through when we couldn't still see each other and touch each other and hug each other. So we did a drive through a welcome baby, uh, because they had adopted him. Uh, and this was, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was even uh, with special needs. So that was Aww. very great and beautiful of this family that took in this Muslim born uh, little boy. Um, to take care of him. So there are resources out there, maybe not a lot, but inshallah, with the more um, uh, curiosity and more uh, desire from our community, you know, it will grow. Definitely, um, it's something that we need to look into. We also have to remember that um, now with the Afghan uh, brothers and sisters coming, there's some children, for those of you that don't know, there are some minors that are coming here without parents and without guardians. So they will automatically go into the foster care system and obviously be put in families where they will essentially, you know, lose their identity, their traditions and what they know, right? Their values and principles. So it's very important for us as a community, as a whole, to get our act together and again, we are a very fortunate community um, as a whole, mashallah. We have a lot of doctors, a lot of engineers, and so resources are there. Don't be afraid. Again, this can be your ticket to Jannah. You never know. Uh, Allah is the greatest, and he will always provide from places you would never even imagine. So if that is your fear, remember that he is al-Razak. So he will give you. He will give you, and he will take care of this baby um, and your family for taking care of this, this, this child, this orphan, or this child that needs a home, uh, love, you know, and, and safety environment, and more than anything, stability. Stability yes. is so important in any child's life. And if you're able to give this, I want to encourage everyone listening to please get out there and get educated. Uh, inshallah, if you don't have the means, advocate for this. Uh, talk to those who may be able to uh, within your circles, inshallah. Inshallah. Well, Jazakal Khair, Sister Nahla, once again for joining us. We could go on and on, do so many different episodes, so many different topics just right now with you. So Alhamdulillah, I'm so glad that we had this opportunity to sit down, talk with each other, raise awareness about this important issue, but also talk about and share our faith journeys as well. Uh, if people want to 
follow what you're doing, get involved. Where can they find your information, your blog, anything you want to share with us? Morales, Facebook, Instagram, um, my website through embrace, uh, just Google my name and I'll show up some somewhere. Uh, (laughs) And, um, you know, we're always looking for people that are like-minded and also want to help with our effort, which is, you know, the mentoring, the reverts and helping out with that uh, situation. So if you're passionate about teaching others and welcoming reverts, because we're like babies, right? When we come into the faith, we're like babies. (laughs) want to be welcome and take care and that's why I came up with this name of embrace because we I embrace, love it we embrace the faith we want to be embraced and when we when we see each other the first thing we do is embrace each other right so I just felt that it was the most appropriate name uh so do uh take in your reverb brothers and sisters invite them we don't have cooties we we love food so food connects us you know and and just be kind to one another Exactly. Alhamdulillah. So definitely for all our listeners out there, remember Nahla Morales, N-A-H-E-L-A-M-O-R-A-L-E-S. You can find all the amazing things that she's up to online through Facebook, Instagram, her blog, or through ICNA Embrace Initiative, which you can also be involved in. And if you're interested in learning more about foster care in America, uh, Sister Nahla shared with us Jonathan's Place and FATE, F-A-T-E, which is also a project of ICNA. Jazakal Khair, Sister Nahla, for joining us, for raising awareness about these very important topics and for all the work that you're doing in the community, mashallah. Um, this Thank is, uh, <laughs> yes. Jazakal Khair once again, Sister Nahala. And thank you all for listening, uh, for tuning in. This is Munira Madison with the Remastered Podcast signing off. Until next time, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Assalamu alaikum. This episode is brought to you by Mass Youth Campaign, The Orphan Who Changed the World. Mass Youth has teamed up with Islamic Relief and urges you to help them sponsor 100 orphans during the month of October. Show your love for the Prophet and strive to hashtag be with him by sponsoring an orphan and giving them the gift of hope. Visit irusa.org forward slash mass orphans to learn more.